Hey, thanks for tuning in to this podcast. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to send us your story by visiting our website at freedomlifeag.com. Welcome to Freedom. What's in a frame? You know, when you look at a frame, that frame is often holding something from a picture to a document to something that you find or deem important. Behind me is a large frame. But here I have a frame that's important to me. It's not the size of the frame that determines how important it is. This is a smaller frame. This frame right here is a a document that's very important to me. It's my certificate of ordination. Many, many hours. Many, many, many hours of study, preparation, preaching, and dedication to the Lord is symbolized by this one square piece of paper. To you, it may not mean that much. But you are a byproduct of what this means. Because all the preparation that it took to get this helps me to fulfill the task as a pastor, as a man of God, or minister of the gospel. All the hours are held in this document, and that's why it's important to me. This frame holds that document. It holds it, and to me, it pretty special. The frame is nice, holds it together, but it's what's inside. It's really special. This frame is a smaller frame. This is what I deem important. Our lives are full of frames. Our lives are full of things that seem to hold our life together. You see, this morning we're starting a new series. Our Christmas series called, Do You See What I See? Do you see what I see? I mentioned this frame here this morning because this frame here is just that. It's a frame that would hold a picture or something of the sort that I have laid for it to hold. The frame itself oftentimes shows what that is like. If it's an elegant piece, usually you put it with an elegant frame. If it's a modern piece, you usually put it in a modern frame. It usually kind of helps tell the story of what it's holding. Yes? Does that make sense? You kind of match the document, match the painting with that frame. If I can get your attention for a moment... I think these next few moments could radically change your life. Because if I held this same document here, if I took it out of this frame and I put it on my wall and I held it up with duct tape, would you think for even a moment that I deemed that as special? (laughs) Well, use painter's tape at least, Pastor Tony. You won't ruin the document as much. It doesn't matter. If you walked into my office and my office is nice and I have my ordination duct taped to the side of the wall, you probably think, nice office, horrible choice. 
Right? You'd say, that's just strange. You, apparently you don't care too much about that document. Because the frame tells a story. It's part of the story. Because it's holding it. It's supporting it. And I, I dare this morning to venture into a passage that I believe is going to help you frame out your life. So this morning's message is entitled, What's in a Frame? Do you see the seed? Do you see the seed? I want to I point to one verse of scripture before we go any further. The verse of scripture that we're going to be talking about is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I want to just preface before I even read that. That the Old Testament is a frame as well. The Old Testament is a frame of what God was doing at that time. The New Testament is a frame of what God did after the Old Testament time. And so we find looking at this frame here in Genesis This right here is a bit of a symbol of what it is I believe I'm about to uncover for you here in just a few short moments. The Old Testament has a framework, a built-in framework for your redemption. Now let me go into it for a moment. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Here's how scripture foretold the story of redemption Way back in the first book of the Bible. We often look upon Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the beginning of the Gospels, right? We look at it and we say, that's the beginning of the Gospel. But I I, want to propose to you something. If you can give me your attention for the next few moments. I want to propose to you this morning that the first promise ever given about man's redemption was in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And here it is. He says this. This is God, just to put it in context, Adam and Eve had sinned. Adam and Eve had sinned. And now, as Adam and Eve had sinned, this is God's response. He says, now he doesn't say this to Adam, and he doesn't say this to Eve. He speaks and addresses the serpent, and more specifically, Satan, Lucifer, the evil one, the bad guy in the story. He says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring And hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Again, this is just after the fall of mankind. Now watch this. This is so good. I'm so pumped because the first promise ever given after Adam and Eve was a promise of redemption. When we do something wrong, we usually think the first response is going to be, right, Something bad. And you know what? There was a consequence to the fall. I'm not sugarcoating that. There was a response, right? 
There was a response to the fall, but God's response was directed toward the one who tried to affect the frame. God spoke to the one that affected the frame of his salvation and his plan for mankind. God wanted to say, if you mess with my framework, you mess with me. And what he did was, watch this, he addressed Satan specifically and told him, I know what you got, but I will raise you a different answer. I will raise to you that I have answered what you think you have won. The victory you think you have is short-lived. Theologians call this verse, Genesis 3.15 that is, Proto-Evangelium, which means the first gospel. These words spoken were not spoken by John the Baptist. These words, the first gospel was not spoken even by Jesus, even by the disciples. You know who first spoke the first words? God. God was the first evangelist to evangelize his people. He saw the sin. He saw the issue. And you know what he said? I got it covered. Because the framework that I've set up, no matter what you put in it, will never change what I think of you. You can, you can mess the painting up, and you have. How many agree with that? If you have never messed up the painting, see me after service. I'd love to find your secret. The painting, I left the painting out specifically here today because the painting is different for every person. Every person has a different painting because your life is different. Your experiences are all different. Your encounters are all different. Everything you go through in your life is different than the person next to you, even if they walk through it with you. Because you'd see it through a different lens. But guess what? The frame is still intact. Your story is being written every single day. Your painting is being drawn today. Every decision you make will be painted in the framework. But guess what? I love what Charles Simeon once said when he's talking about this Genesis 3.15 verse. He says the sum, of the, the, the sum and summary of the whole Bible is in this verse. Everything in scripture is found in this one verse. What are we talking about? And I will put enmity. God says I will, I will put enmity between you and the woman. There's a separation there between God and man. God and the one that opposes him. And anybody else that opposes him. Watch this. Let me get your attention. If you're not looking at your Bibles. You're looking at the screen. Because I want you to see this. And between your offspring and hers. Interesting. I'll touch on that in a moment. And he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. I'll talk about that as well. Here's what we're saying. This morning. Do you see what I see? Do you see the seed? Although you may not see it at first glance, Christ is in this verse. His sacrifice in this verse. Do you see it? In the process, his heel would be bruised on the cross. God said that, right? God says 
He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's a plan and something that's going to unfold. And that plan has pain involved. How many like pain? I don't like pain. It hurts. Sometimes pain will be involved in your victory. Sometimes pain is in the victory. So you know what he was saying? You know what God was saying to all of mankind as he spoke to Satan? You know what he was saying? He was saying, there's going to be victory, but there's going to be a price. Somebody has to pay. Did you know that there's some struggles you're going through that God doesn't want to deliver you from? That's a hard one to take. But at the end of the day, you'll be stronger for it. Now, does he deliver us from evil? Does he do that? Absolutely. He delivers us from that. That's why some, there's some people in your life that, that aren't there anymore. Let's just be honest. Hello? Some of you got faces crossing your, your, your mind right now. Just stay back here with me, okay? Don't want you to st- stroll off in the land of bitterness, okay? Bring it back. Bring it back. I'm telling you right now that sometimes pain will be involved in your victory. You know what he said? <laughs> he said this. He said, yeah, he's going to have a bruised heel. But you're going to have a crushed head. You could say what you want. You could do what you want. But you can't mess with my framework. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be bruised than crushed any day. I'd rather be bruised than crushed on any day. Here's the picture of Christ BC. The picture of Christ before Christ. Genesis 3, 15. Before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 8, verse 58. Can I I propose something to you for a moment? That these next four weeks... Can I shoot to you the, uh, the theme of each morning for these next four weeks? Because I want you to get a preview of what the next four weeks are going to look like. As we touch this series, Do You See What I See? We're going to be hitting four different things in this Christmas series. This morning we're touching on Do You See the Sea? Following by Do You See the Lamb? Do You See the Prophet? And closing up on Christmas Eve, Do You See the Virgin? Those four central truths are very important to us as Christians. The seed, the lamb, the prophet, the virgin. Each one play a part and they paint the picture of Christ even before his birth. So we're going to walk through that together. And I invite you to invite somebody. These four truths remind us that there are times that As we look in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, this Genesis chapter 3 is pretty famous. You ever read it? The fall of man. Remember that? Some of you are like, no, I'm too perfect to remember that. All the rest of us remember how imperfect we are. Genesis chapter 3 told the story of the fall of man. And in this story, in the fall of man, we learn that when something goes wrong, we all have a tendency to first do what? Something goes wrong, we 
Hide. Hide. Why were you hiding? Because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? My eyes have been uncovered. All of a sudden we hide. And then if we, if we do come out with fig leaves on, we do come out of our situation, we then do what? We make excuses. Right? We say, well, the woman you gave me, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. Not even close. You will not bait me. I value my relationship right now. She turns around and says, it was a serpent. He was hanging around here and he told me something. And next thing you know, we have a tendency to hide. And then when we come out, we tend to make excuses. At some point, someone has to be willing to take responsibility. And now paradise in Genesis chapter 3 is not so beautiful anymore. Eden has been ruined by the entrance of sin. Darkness falls on the ground. Adam and Eve now, they contemplate what they've done. The smell of death is in the air. Something has went horribly wrong. God comes out in chapter 3 verse 15 and says, oh, oh, oh. But I have a framework. I have a plan. There's an idea. And I think it's a good one. God's picture may be tainted, but his framework is intact. Come on, somebody. God God has a framework. Meanwhile, under a tree somewhere, there's a snake lingering. And God speaks to the snake. He says, number one, you will be cursed the rest of your life. Number two, you will, you will slither upon your belly the rest of your life. And number three, you will, you will breathe in and you will eat the dust of the ground you crawl on. Because you messed with the framework. But my framework is too strong. You messed with my seed. But I have an answer. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. See, the enemy will do everything he can to, de- to, to destroy, to demolish, to distract, to bring you to a place of discouragement so that you don't pay attention to the framework. He'd rather you look at your sad self behind the frame and look at all the problems you have in your life. Look at all the sin you've done, all the things you've done wrong. And the picture that you've painted is not pretty. God says, don't focus on the tainted artwork. I'll touch that up later. Just understand that I've, I'm keeping this together. My frame is for forever. My frame is for forever. I'm telling you that as God surveys the moral wreckage that is the fall of mankind, he says in the midst of all of this, I already have a plan. I already have an idea and it will work because it's mine. Although you may not realize that Christ was in this verse and the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, but... 
with all these things that have taken place, it's going to crush your head. My plan is going to crush your plan. You got a plan and I got a plan. Let's see whose plan survives. And these two short verses. I don't remember the last time I preached from just two verses. But this morning, there's enough in this, these two verses to preach an entire year's worth of sermons. Because every time I look at God's redemption plan, I realize it's, it goes so further. Look at me. It goes so much further than our mess up. It goes so much further than that. So allow me for a moment these two short verses to kind of elaborate. The bad news is that the enemy seemed to have won for a short time. Yes? He tripped us up. I'll give you that. He messed up some things. I'll give him that. But there's no extenuating circumstances. God judged him immediately. Even though verse 15 contains the first mention of the gospel, there's no ray of hope for Satan at all. He's not involved in this whole thing. His redemption was for us. I love what Spurgeon once said. Charles Spurgeon said this about this verse. But now God comes in. This is speaking after the fall, right? Charles Spurgeon begins to speak about this verse and he says this. But now God comes in, takes up the quarrel personally. And causes him to be disgraced on the very battlefield upon which he gained a temporary success. He looks at Satan and he says, you think you got this. You think you won this. But let me tell you before you take a second breath. I'm going to embarrass you on your own field that you think you won. And tell you, this is temporary. Because I got a crushing plan that will strike a devastating blow to your plan. Because my plan is for forever. You gain temporary success, but my plan is eternal. And no one can pluck you from his hand. You trust him with your life and he is faithful to the end. In some ways, this, in fact, in many ways, this was Satan's finest moment. And God comes in saying, you don't get to celebrate. My framework is still in place. My framework is still intact. Hello? Don't look at me like that. God's framework for you is still intact. I'm not talking about Adam and Eve. I'm talking about you. God's plan is still intact. You'll never be more loved, more saved than you are right now. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you'll never be more saved than that moment. Period. See, he doesn't love anymore, save anymore. It's either you are or you aren't. And today... I'm telling you right now, with the understanding of this context, Genesis 3.15 unleashes an unbelievable barrage to destroy any plan the enemy had for, for mankind.
So as we look at this verse, let me, let me share four things with you. If you have your bulletins, you can jot it down there or notepad. Let me share with you four things that this, this verse expressed to each of us today and to me. And I want to share them with you. Number one, there will always be endless conflict. There will be endless conflict. He said in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Enmity between you and the woman. Listen, there will always be a difference between those who serve God and those who serve the world. There will always be a difference between those who serve Satan and those who serve God. And so what we have to make crystal clear is that you have to define who you serve in this world. You say, well, Pastor Tony, I'm not a religious person, so I'm not really, you know, for God. You know, I'm not against him, but I'm definitely not a Satanist. I'm definitely not that. And I'm not saying that those who don't serve God are Satanists. I'm saying to you that you have to choose or your lack of choice will choose for you. That's not popular preaching. I know it. No decision is decision. Jesus made it very clear that there will be endless conflict. It's clear that Eve and the serpent will never be on the same page. The seed of God and the seed of Satan will never flourish in the same area. What I want to tell you here today is that you will always battle in this Christian faith. You will always have conflict. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I know this is for somebody today. Hey, you know what? Eve made a huge mistake. Adam made a huge mistake. But I think it's safe to say they will never join the serpent's fan club or rewards club. Every woman dreams of living in a paradise. And many of us have dreamed about going on that paradise vacation. But this moment kind of killed paradise, didn't it? They were cast out of paradise. Why? Because self got in the way. Self got in the way. The deeper meaning lies within the word offspring. And the Hebrew word for offspring is the word seed. And that's where I get the, the idea of, do you see the seed? Because what we see oftentimes is everything we've done. That right there is sometimes a byproduct of what the enemy has tried to leak into our lives. I'm asking you, what's in a frame? How important is the frame that's holding your life together? Because the framework of your faith will determine what you do the rest of your life. You're going to mess this up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make bad choices, career choices. Personal relationship choices that are not pretty. You'll turn back and go, yeah, I could have done that differently. But that doesn't affect the framework. That doesn't speak to the framework. That speaks to the painting. God will do his touch-ups. Hello? You see, the seed that we're talking about, the offspring refers to the men and women of faith. 
that stand firm, that seed of God will always be. There's a godly line. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, even Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Ruth. You know the stories. You've read them. Some of you know them by heart. David, Esther, eventually culminate. All of them lead right up to Jesus. The story of someone who considered the frame more than the picture. My picture, and it's got a lot of different things in it. But I'm telling you, what if we focus on the frame that's holding it together? Number two. Truth number two. Satan has a seed. Satan has a seed. I didn't quite think about this until I started going through this message. Started reading through this verse. Newsflash, Satan has a seed too. Alright, spoiler alert. We win. Throughout history and every generation, the enemy had his hand in things. Would you agree? Yeah? Cain had a situation go down. Right? Cain killed Abel. And wickedness started going down from generation to generation. Down to Noah's day. There was evil. Pharaohs during Moses' time. Right? Canaanites during Joshua's time. Philistines during David's time. All of them were speaking against the things of God. Were speaking against the framework of a creator. The framework of one God. And they all fell. Why? You can't test the framework of God. You can't touch the framework of God. It's not God and the devil and they're fighting. It's God and everybody else. Let me be crystal clear. His frame can't be touched unless he allows it. And he hasn't allowed it. Do you see the seed? Do you see the seed? Who was it that threw Daniel in the lion's den? It was the ungodly line of Satan. Who was it that hated the prophets and killed them and hunted them down in cold blood? No, 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 not a person. It was a line. It was the line, ungodly line of Satan. Why? Because Satan has a seed. Do you see the seed? So we come to the days of Christ. Herod tried to kill Jesus. Satan infiltrated the circle. Even getting to one of his own. You remember his name? Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus and then there were men lining up to lie about Jesus. You know, don't get all offended when people lie about you sometimes. It's been happening for quite some time. If Jesus himself being perfect, people lied about him, what makes you think you're going to get off the hook? There's always going to be somebody. There's always somebody. But let me tell you something. It don't affect my frame. Because my frame is not held together by man. It's held together by God. Here's a great truth. God said, I see your seed. 
I see your deception. I see the fall. And I raise you a seed. Jesus my son. Who will be the seed that will crush your seed. A man that will change the course of human history. And change your destination. Jesus Christ our Lord. Y'all need to get this this morning. I see a seed. And that seed is Jesus Christ. Third thought. Third thought. Two humanities. Two humanities. There's a man by the name of Matthew Henry. Who was a Puritan minister in the 1700s. And he talked about this particular verse. And he talked about specifically how they tried to knock Jesus out. And he says, it was the devil that put it into the heart of Judas to betray Christ. Of Peter to deny him. Of the chief priests to prosecute him. Of the false witnesses to accuse him. And of Pilate to condemn him. Aiming all this by destroying the Savior to ruin salvation. Do you see the seed? Enemy has tried for a long time to mess with humanity. But God had a frame. God had a frame. Francis Schaeffer, another great minister, said this. From, the time, from this time, that is talking about the fall. From this time in the flow of history, there have been two humanities. The one humanity says that there is no God or makes God his own imagination or tries to come to God in its own way. The other humanity comes to the true God in God's way. There is no neutral ground. There's two humanities. The people that want to follow God and the people that just don't. And God, one of the things that Jesus did is he didn't come to necessarily just make peace with everybody because that doesn't work, right? You can't make peace with her. He says, I come to bring the sword. Why? He wants to separate the seed of man, Satan, the world, and separate that from God's seed. Can, can I tell you this real quick? He said, he will strike his heel. Satan will come across like he won something, but he hasn't won a lick. God had already a plan in store. He has many tools in his arsenal. You ever been discouraged? Raise your hand if you've ever been discouraged. Anybody? If you've never been discouraged, raise your hand. Because you should be discouraged of the fact that you've never been discouraged. It means you have no feelings. And I am concerned deeply for you. We've all been discouraged, right? We've all had those moments. And that's one of his tools in the arsenal. To distract and discourage we are wounded by discouragement. We are wounded by criticism and anger. We are wounded by things. Dreams that don't come true. Projects that never come to fruition. Goals that somehow we trusted somebody else to help us get to. And we just can't get there. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. But you got to stay with it. I love what Spurgeon then came across when he's talked about on Sunday morning. 
Look at your master and your king upon the cross, all stained with blood and dust. There was his heel most cruelly bruised. When they take down that precious body and wrap it in fair white linen and spices. And lay it in Joseph's tomb. They weep as they handle the casket in which the deity had dwelt. For there again Satan had bruised his heel. I love this. Watch what it says. He says, the devil had let loose Herod and Pilate and Caiaphas and the Jews and the Romans. And that's all, however, only his heel, not his head that is bruised. For lo, the champion rises again. After all they did to Jesus, they couldn't even get to his head. They could only reach his heel. Why? Because he is above everyone and everything and every child and every temptation. He is only reachable by his heel. You could plan all you want, Satan. All you're going to get to is his heel. You can't even touch him halfway up. God took care of the rest. Satan delivered a blow. You see, you say to yourself, well, Pastor Tony, when they drove the nail through his feet, they also drove it through his hands. Oh, you're forgetting. And that's the reason why we're here. Thomas needed proof. That was enough proof. And friend, I tell you today, no matter what you're going through, man, take a look at his hands. Take a look at his hands and remember. Number four, remember this. There is eventual victory. This verse tells me that there is eventual victory. Victory is coming. You did what you want to him. You did what you want to Adam. You did what you want to Eve. I get it. They fell for it. But there's eventual victory. Don't think and sit on this for too long. He will crush your head and you'll only strike his heel. Oh my goodness. See, this is the heel versus the head, right? This This is crushing of the head. Versus striking of the heel. So what am I talking about today? I'm talking about God's framework is still intact. The Christian life is always going to be a struggle. Salvation is free, but no one gets a free ride. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some friendships. When you live for God, don't think everybody's going to root you on. Not everybody's going to cheer you on. Because people look at the church today as, here are all the things the church is against. Look at me. We don't live our lives in what we're against. We live our lives for what we're for. I don't live my life going, I wake up in the morning and I think, man, I am so against this. and I am so against that. I am so against this. No, I hunger for the things that God hungers for. I don't think, man, I really don't want this and I really don't want that. When I'm hungry, I don't think of what I don't want. Does that make sense? When I'm hungry, I don't sit around going, here's what I can't. And this is what I don't like. And here's what I don't like. And here's what I don't like. I say, here's what I can use right now. And sometimes it's like a combo. An extra large something or other. Right? 
Don't think we were going to get through one sermon without food. It's got to be a food reference. It's, I think about what I want. I could really go for fill in the blank. Right? That's the way hunger works. It's not thinking about all the things I don't like. I'm thinking about what I do like. So does Christianity paint the picture. I don't sit around thinking about all the things God doesn't want me to do. I sit around thinking about all the things God wants me to be obedient about. That's what makes Christianity what it is. And that's what makes Christianity powerful. His framework. His framework. Can I have you bow your heads with me for a moment? Because sometimes I want us to recognize today that there is no victory without wounding and no progress without pain. Father, I thank you that the eventual victory, Jesus Christ, has given us a reason to stand and to fight. Jesus has given us a hope, a reason to stand with the Son. Lord, I pray today that your suffering on that cross would not be in vain. And even after the resurrection, God, I pray that we would recognize there is hope today for all of us. I realize today that God, I I might as well fight because the framework's already set for me to win. So today, God, I pray That as we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as that verse is unfolding. That in our lives today, we will recognize that your name is power. And in your name, there is hope. I ask you, God, today, may your plans be unfolded in this place. In Jesus' name. Let your plan unfold. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.